And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. Do you know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CP Red Eye. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley. As we, well, continue our Thursday, we don't know where you guys have been. Music starts. I'm bobbing my head along with the music. It's pretty good music that we have for our show. Hi, mm-hmm. Gary. And then I'm like, point to you, because normally uh, in every other segment, you open the, the segment, and I'm looking over here, I'm bobbing my head, and you're looking at me like, are you going to talk? So I guess yeah. I will. Good morning. <laughs> Salutations. <laughs> Gary, how are you? Greetings, greetings, and salutations. What a beautiful day for a ball game. What a Let's beautiful. play two. Let's play two. Now, who is that? Uh, George Costanza. Yeah. That's, yes. Uh, yeah. That's, a, from, yeah. that's a Seinfeld. So From his Yankees days. Yeah. Yeah. I actually liked that period when he was with the Yankees. First of all, <laughs> there was way too much material. You know, it was ripe for great comedy. Yes. But it also served... As as a well, uh, it, it it settled my nerves about Costanza when he got on with the Yankees. This is how invested I was in that show. I thought to myself, "Okay, George is going to be okay. All right, that's good. He's with the Yankees. It's all going to be good." And still today, you you could say, "Well, it's just it was just a sitcom. It's just a TV show." Nope. When you're that invested in it, it's like, oh, thank goodness. George landed with the Yankees. It's all going to be he's, good. He's got some security for it's, a while. It's going to be. <laughs> such a mess. Until <laughs> he pulls a Larry David but, and, and quits and then comes back the following Monday. But still we wondered. Yeah. And, uh, that was never answered. How did Kramer make his money? Yep. we yeah. we. You know what? what's interesting? I probably have two or three very close friends and I kind of know what they do for a living but it doesn't the lifestyle doesn't add up 
You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. I'm not saying they're like living far. They're not like, you know, living on a yacht or something. But it's like, uh, I know what the guy does and, for a living. And you're pretty sure they're not drug dealers. N- yeah, no, okay, they're not right. doing anything right, illegal. Right, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but they got a side hustle. They got a good side hustle going. And Kramer was all side hustle. He was, and it, it's, it's like he was on his way to a, a deal and it, it never felt Ill, illegal or, you know, nefarious, maybe questionable, shady, morally not complete. Yeah. He did, he did get involved with that one guy, but it wasn't his business, but the one guy that was into the bootleg films, remember? Yes. Yes. Remember that? Right. That, that was a, that was a, cool episode i always like that one and of course the empties trying to return the empties yes the empties yes and then they they couldn't figure it out and unless they didn't pay for the truck which is why they used newman's postal truck yeah exactly (laughs) yeah and because they had a they could they they went to was it michigan that had a higher deposit for the bottles or something yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) yeah it's amazing how that just with all the other things that we do in our lives every day and you know, and how long ago that show was on, the fact that that's still in my memory bank, all that well, stuff is really cool. The <laughs> thing was, because those scenarios, because of the comedy that came, the, the moments that came out of those, you know, those scenarios, the show about nothing was actually, if you think about it, it was very memorable. If you were mm-hmm. uh, a fan and watching during that era of television, once you latched on, it, it's there are so many catchphrases that came out of that show um that are still today uh alive and 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 circulated and and it's just it was just you know it's just a great show it really was well we got a great show ahead today we because do. so much so much went on yesterday listen to uh listen to this here we go All right. uh does does DHS have operational control of our entire border? No, sir. There you go. We'll get to more of that. That's the Border Patrol uh, chief uh, yesterday talking, um, you know, before the members of, uh, of, uh, of Congress disagreeing a lot with Biden yeah. on the border. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll play it. And you know him. You, Yeah. Uh, Raul Ortiz and I went to high school together in Del Rio. Uh, and by the way, he gave the same answer when one of our teachers would ask him, did you complete your homework last night, Raul? No, sir. <laughs> Just a joke. He, you know, he, he was a great student, actually. He looks much more professional than you. Yeah. Oh, no. Trust me. He is. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's you said one time, he, you know, he looks older. We're the same age. He looks older. He's been in charge of a broken border for years. <laughs> that that, was that a, will age you. That was a great answer that you gave me. Uh, plus, you know, we were on. It seems like every day there's something from the, the some insanity from the liberal transgender activist uh, movement. This came from the Minnesota Democratic Lieutenant Governor hmm. uh, Peggy Flanagan yesterday. Here we go. When our children tell us who they are. It is our job as grown-ups to listen and to believe them. You notice it isn't wild cheers. You have people behind her that are just looking at her going like, what? It's That was obligatory. That's what that applause yeah, sounded I mean, like. It was, I mean, as we said yesterday when we got into this, 
the the entire thing. And this was Biden, you know, trying to challenge and go after, uh, you know, uh, go after DeSantis in mm-hmm. uh, in Florida and say mm-hmm. what he's doing is sinful. And DeSantis mm-hmm. struck back and said, you know, basically, you know, here's some of the mutilation from the surgery, and here's what the, you know the president had to say. And we just said, we we have no idea why the Democrats have decided to die on this particular hill. It makes no sense. DeSantis said that against Disney. It makes no sense unless you believe that you, this is a way that you can brainwash children and you can control children. And if you're able to convince, you know, uh, uh, children and brainwash children into lies, into, and, and also convince the parents that they can't fight back. Right. On something that is an absolute lie and absolutely the most reprehensible thing you could possibly come up with, which to me is child abuse, the mutilation of minors and the Democratic Party and the president now is doubling down on it is just the most incredible thing in politics that I've ever seen. And you just wonder that they themselves, what type of perverted, reprehensible, evil minds do they have? There is no gray area here. No, there isn't. There is no gray area. And these and, people are despicable human beings who don't actually care about children and are willing to allow children who are not mature enough to to vote to make any other decision in their life that a confused child should be able to make a decision for bodily mutilation and the parents have no say. What despicable human beings Democrats have become. You've seen the true nature. This is pure evil. It's as pure evil as you can possibly get. Well, and they justify it as some type of, you know, uh, I don't know, superior morality. Well, because you listen to what she said. We need to listen. When they say something we need about who they are, we need to listen. You can listen, and they can say things. The thing about saying things is that you can take them back. You can change your mind later. Genital mutilation can't be reversed. You get into the, and these these are the things you look at. You saw some uh, data that came out recently, again, for adolescent girls and depression, uh, thoughts or attempts of suicide, the suicide rate, uh, and all of that. And it's a very real problem. And as a father of three girls and a grandfather of six girls it is greatly concerning it is something that occupies my mind all the time the welfare of your children how could it not well if you're a democrat what you're trying to do is gain control over those children and edge the parents out what they're telling you is We're going to do this, and if the parents don't like it, they're abusive. We have gone from, and this is the evolution of this whole thing. The board of the Charlotte Observer, the editorial board, saying, your daughter needs to get used to male genitalia. What they need to do is update that and say, your son needs to get used to not having his 
male genitalia if he says so at a young age. And you can't say anything about it if you're a parent. You don't get to have a decision in that. You're, as Swalwell said, these parents who think that they have a place in their kid's classroom, they're stupid. These, This is, and McAuliffe said it, of course, that didn't go well for him politically, but this is who the left is. They don't want you to make the decisions for your own children. You don't, as the one teacher said, you don't have a master's degree. These are doctors and surgeons over here. You're not a doctor. They'll tell you what kind of surgery your child wants. Keep in mind what we said yesterday. This surgery isn't curing or preventing a disease. It is not doing anything except fulfilling the wants of an individual who was not capable of making that decision and the adults who are doing it should be in prison. Yeah, it's just, uh, you you real, I mean, you just, you shake your head. I mean, I, I guess, you know, there are some things, nothing shocks me anymore, but that is one that makes me go, wow, how evil can you be? How disgusting can you be? How reprehensible as an adult can you be? But when these are the same people that tell children that the world is ending, you know, that, you know, the whole climate change, you see that climate change poll that was done? Mm. Whoa. Once you get that, the climate change poll is really, really interesting. The majority of Americans don't buy into it at all anymore because no. they've been doing it for such a long time. We're finally, it's like, well, wait a minute, you're making my life harder. And all these things that you said are going to happen didn't happen. And then the big story this week that Greta Thunberg pulled her prediction that the world would end uh, by June of this year. Mm -hmm. She has pulled that tweet. Yeah. You know, it's just this is the entire every single major prediction of disaster never happened. Yet they brainwash kids into believing they have no future. That's evil to begin with. Right. Well, the thing is, if you're saying so a child should be able to, uh, you know, mutilate their body. Yeah. When when they are at an age where they are not legally allowed to make any type of decision in their life, well, if they say that, look, doing drugs would make me feel better, right? I mean, it's well, right. we should let them do drugs because it would make them feel better. Mm-hmm. Because they, we listen to our children, and we must do what our children want. These people are insane. I mean, it's just unbelievably evil, and this is now. You know, inside, maybe not the Democratic voter. I don't want to say that the Democratic voter thinks the same, but the actual, the National Democratic Party. Yes. This is mainstream. Yes. It is. The president made it clear this week. He's willing to go after. If you're against this, if you say, no, a child should not be able to do this. If they're an adult, hey, you can do whatever you want. But a child should not be able to do it. A parent should be able to intervene on it. And look, let's look at the medical science behind this. Let's look at the depression. Let's look at the number of people that regret doing this, even as adults doing it. And no, children don't get the final say on any of this at all. No, they don't. And to call that sinful, how reprehensible is the president of the United States? I don't care what Trump said. Nothing ever comes came close. No. To Biden promoting mutilation of minors. And, 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 and as, promoting that they're going to fight for it. Right. 
that the federal government, if they had their way, if they had complete control, if his party had power across the board, this would be a done deal. What absolutely filthy human beings these people are. It really is. Again, though, you, you think about this. When you have somebody like Biden who will lie about the Georgia election law, that no, Democrats don't even talk about, well, hey, let's have the Democratic National Convention in Georgia. Yeah, but you said it was Jim Crow and baseball should move out and nobody should do business and now you want to move. Oh, yeah, because we were lying to you. We were lying to you to make people hate each other. Yeah. And it's just, you know, you just you shake your head. I mean, I'm sorry, but just horrible, filthy people they are. They are. 86690 Red Eye. It's not always easy to spring back from the harsh days of winter to warmer months ahead. From de-icing chemicals to hidden debris underneath snow and ice, winter conditions can do serious damage to your truck. Here's a must-do maintenance check to help you minimize downtime and stay rolling. Make sure your fluids are at proper levels ahead of spring. Fluid is to trucks what blood is to the human body. Low fluid can be just as harmful as no fluid, and the damage this will cause to your truck is unavoidable. Pay attention to your engine oil, coolant levels, power steering fluid, transmission fluid, brake fluid, and differential fluid. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. If you'd like to get in, coming up following the bottom of the hour, we will look at uh, some of the economic uh, numbers there. Retail sales down in February by 0.4%, and also the Empire State Manufacturing Survey shows a continued decline. Mm -hmm. And one wonders if, if, you know, that is the the first indicator of a, you know, of a recession. But you look at that with retail sales being down, and inflation, especially core inflation, going up. Yeah. And you look at yeah. that and you say, okay, is this signs of stagflation, which the Fed is giving an, an indication and a lot of economists giving an indication, well, there's not much we can do about it because we need to prevent the panic of, of bank failures. I mean, we're just in we're, – we're in territory that is just – it's frustrating to see this because it's all man-made. You know, and this yeah, is not. Right, right. If I hear one more person say, "Well, see, capitalism is failing." This isn't capital capitalism. No, it is the manipulation of all the, the of all different markets. As we went through uh, point by point yesterday, that's the reason for the failure. It's interfering with capitalism that's causing all of this. Yep, yep. And you know, it will be interesting to see what the Fed will do, uh, and uh, on their next move. You know, because after the uh, bank failures, now everything is up in the air. And you have more and more people calling for him to, you know, hit the brakes. Don't do anything. Or at the very least, don't do any more than 0.25 of an increase. And I can see him doing that. That's probably his only political move. 0.5 is going to be greater than the last increase. You're going you're gonna to get flack. 
And, you know, the question is, do they really care about getting on top of inflation? I'm already convinced that Jerome Powell is not the Fed chairman. I don't think that he's concerned about it. Otherwise, they would have done yeah, I more aggressive moves. No, no, that's a great point. He would have so, done more aggressive moves yeah. if that was the key thing that he was most worried about. Right. So I, I, I don't think that's really the goal. I think he is trying to, as many of them have done, done. They think they're a magician and they think they can play that balance, you know, that balancing act and, and do it successfully. Well, we'll see. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. Bargain hunting is back. I mean, bargain hunting's always been around. We always love a great deal. But man, everywhere you look, people are bargain hunting. You know, there's so many great ways to find great deals. Hey, I have a great find in your bargain hunting journey. Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price that's a real bargain when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at motel6.com. That is a bargain. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. threat to democracy if you don't download our app, Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. I just like to have a day where there was some good news <laughs> and it's like we just, we don't, yeah. we don't have it. I'm just, I'm looking at these three headlines that I have here. Mm. Retail sales down in February by 0.4%. Empire State Manufacturing Survey shows continued decline. And Americans may deplete more than half of their pandemic era savings by the end of 2023. Yeah. Goldman Sachs. Well, it's interesting because others have said that that savings will be completely depleted by the summer. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, uh, I know that um, Jamie uh, Jamie Dimon, the CEO of uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, had said that at the end of last year and there was some there was some data that came out that showed that it was well on its way to you know happening and we'll see if that happens but um you know the fact of the matter is is that you really don't have any any choice 
you know, with inflation. And, and we talked about yesterday with the inflation numbers coming out for February, but then rent going up and they expected that to cool down. And you look at it with the increased interest rates, fewer people were going to move into homes, and that's in terms of buying, and that's going to drive up the demand for renting. So it makes sense that rent is still on the rise. So now, I mean, again, you don't have any choices. I was reading an article yesterday about more and more people, again, getting that uh, side gig, you know, and that's something that you know, a lot of people I don't know where you you know you find the time if you have a family but you don't have a choice you got to have something you got to do something to supplement your income and you're it, it's not like it's improving your life right it's not like it's uh you know that you're getting more things because you're earning more you're having to earn more to buy the same things. And that is frustrating. You're having to work right. longer hours to do that if you're taking on an extra job it's whether or a, a side gig. And that is a, you know, that's something that is reality for a lot of families and, right now. And when, when you see, for example, because when we looked at inflation and the, the amount of inflation as we went through yesterday and looked at so much of what people's major expenses are, which are, you know, they say, well, overall, you know, the economic or the uh, the inflation is this. Uh, and then you say, OK, but what about groceries? What about what about the things you actually need? Right. Which are yeah. groceries, energy uh, outside of gasoline, groceries, yeah. energy, you know, electricity mm. uh, and and uh, shelter. Mm. And they're all up drastically. Those yeah. are the things that people spend the majority of their money on. Right. And that's what people feel. And so yeah. you also look at this and say, this is where you and I talked about the GDP numbers when they changed the way that they did the GDP over a decade ago. And we said we don't like it because the movement of money, uh, you know, adds to the GDP. Not necessarily, you know, the GDP is not related to, for example, the production of durable goods or services. Right. And so you look at that and say, all right, well, so if the spending is up, but you're actually buying the same amount or less, hmm. then even though there's a huge movement of money – and it may be reflective in the GDP. It's not reflected in what truly makes an economy go, which is the production of goods and services, which is increasing the wealth. When you expand goods and services, you expand wealth. And then when the Fed has, you know, the Fed, you know, <laughs> prints more money, currency prints, whatever, be electronically, mm. you know, that money, that extra money is backed by those goods and services. Therefore, you you don't have inflation. Right. But when you're producing and when you're throwing out, you know, liquidity without the increase in in uh, uh you know uh, actual products and services which expand the economy that's when you continue to feed inflation yeah and, and so yeah and, that, and as you've said you know you look at it and and most people look at the prices they're not looking at you know they can talk about the rate of inflation or anything else i noticed this time around with the february numbers they didn't they weren't as active in trying to make that point. Inflation is coming down. I saw it in a couple of places, but it, they really weren't trying to do that anymore because you can't look at the, and th maybe that's another indicator that Biden is running because you can't look at the prices. You can't look at the grocery store receipts and the cost of rent and everything else and then tell someone, 
inflation's coming down. Because it isn't. The rate of inflation may be coming down, but it still means prices are going up. Well, for uh, for core inflation, it's actually going. The rate is actually going up. Yeah. Well, that's up. one thing that that uh, the you know every the analysts have really been looking at on core inflation. It, it really has been a a greater concern because they're basically if you're looking at at those items that fall under core inflation and it's still on the rise that's what you're worried about you know again if you're not a financial analyst for a living maybe it doesn't come across your uh you know your 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 phone or your uh thoughts every single day but you're seeing it you're paying for it and when those numbers hit that was from last month you already you already paid for that you already know by the time they get that information and then start promoting ridiculous things like inflation is coming down. And, and, you or, know, the, but, or the one that gets me the mm, most, mm. the one that nobody buys into, which is helping, which, which is, I think, one of the main factors that destroys the credibility of this administration is when they keep saying that you're getting relief and wages are going up. Yeah. Well, yeah, wages may be going up, but they're not keeping up with prices. Right. And therefore, exactly. you're, it's actually a negative to people. So when you use the term, people are finally getting relief because of the policies that we put forward, that's a big lie. Well, and, and the, the labor-related inflation is a problem, too. So if, if, those, if the cost of labor is going up and productivity isn't skyrocketing, if the cost of labor is going up... As we're more productive as a nation, just as with the you know scenario with with money, uh, with uh, the dollars in circulation, then that's one thing. But we're not more productive, so then there is the that's inflation on the labor costs, and that's compounding right. has a compounding effect, and that's something that you're seeing right now because it's just we're at the point right now, and it's the makeup, the demographics line it out for you that we really don't have enough individuals in a good economy especially a good economy but in any economy to be as productive as we can be and need to be to expand that wealth and to grow an economy and so you add that to the equation and i think it was uh, about a month ago a little over a month ago when they the analysts were saying, uh, and somebody wrote the the opinion piece, we may be in forever low unemployment. And the reason is, is because we're not creating more humans. We're not growing as a population. And we're not going to do much on legal immigration. You know, a couple of the states want to uh, increase legal immigration. You and I were talking about the, the story from, from Idaho. Yeah. That what's going on with Republicans? Republicans are demanding that we have more legal immigration and that we right. we have you know uh, you know the uh, the the work visas and mm-hmm. even if you're a citizen you can't work here because the Republicans and Trump pointed this out. We we said yep. this back of with the whole Jim Acosta thing. He pointed yep. out yep. if you actually look what's going on, if we want to have economic growth, we don't have we don't have the 
the baby boomers coming into the workforce. We don't have women coming into the workforce right. like they did over the last 70, 80 years in this country. It mm-hmm. doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And because of birth control, we don't have people. And you're seeing that, and that's why you know now the analysis is really the jobs report really doesn't mean as much as it used to mean anymore, or the unemployment number doesn't uh, really mean the same because you don't have you don't have the number of people that are actually looking for a job as you did even 10 years ago. Right. Because right now is when that move is taking place where you've had so many people retire mm-hmm. because of, of, of COVID. It actually is accelerating in 23. There is one analyst said that it this is kind of that threshold, that tipping point of so many of the boomers going into that retirement phase. Now, for those who want to remain that are in that age group that want to remain in the workforce, the good news is you are in high demand because an employer wants someone with experience that they also know is going to be dependable that, you know, and, and that's generally speaking, that is the case. And you're going to be in higher demand. That's just the way it works in the, in the workforce. And I'm not worried about my financial future and retirement because I can work till I'm 99. Well, no, I mean, I've said it years ago. I don't have for a different reason. I mean, I was just, uh, it, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's kind of related to the same reason, but I, I don't want to lose this job, but I don't fear not having a job because I know that if I want to work, I can work. Hey, one of the good things is ageism is not as big of a problem as it used to be. Exactly. Now, now that that concerns me, yeah, right. <laughs> being that I'm in the age of ageism, and, of and, ageism discrimination. And by the way, <laughs> with all the local businesses sending out the mailers, how dare you? I'm going to use your discount, but how dare you? <laughs> you get the coupons. Those over 50 get 10% off. On Sunday between 4 and 6, how dare you? And Can I get a, a iced tea with that, please? You know, I did see something. Uh, oh, it was an article that was, uh, and it was uh, actually people that were in bands saying that there are so many people that, you know, the, you look at the baby boomers and then mm-hmm. everybody that comes, you know, anybody who is really 50 and over, yeah. <laughs> that bands and bars should be open and having live music in the afternoon. On yeah, Friday right. afternoon and <laughs> yeah. Saturday afternoon and Sunday that's, afternoon. That's it's funny. Like, because, and it's so true, because I was, what was it? Uh, oh, the, I, I did you see the, there's a, a commercial that's running all the time that I see now yeah. on Tennessee. Right. That it's 3 a.m. Yeah. And in Tennessee, the live music is there. Oh, yeah. So you get to see a lot of mornings. Right. And I'm watching this commercial. And it's a great, I mean, it's a great commercial, but it doesn't apply to me. Because even though I'm up at 3 a.m. doing this, I'm right. never up at 3 a.m. if I'm not working. And it's like, that commercial does not relate to me. I'm not really looking to see a live band at 3 a.m. in the morning. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 3 yeah. in the afternoon? 3 p.m. Yeah. 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 That, that'd be great. But it was really interesting. I said, you know, that's actually a great point. Yeah. That, you know, people don't really, do people really want to go out and, you know, and, and when a, I remember bands, when I was young, bands used to start at 1030. Yeah. 
at 10 30 11 o'clock and they, oh, would go, no, I they, was... they would go to three and four in the morning and you'd stay up for that and then as i got older those same bands that i would like regional bands they kept moving it back they started at 10 then at nine yeah then at eight and it's like okay the show starts at seven o'clock it'll be over by nine thirty. it's like okay and now i want them to move it to the afternoon we uh we met some family members recently on a weekend. It was a Friday and it was at a casino that had this uh, has this really great restaurant in Oklahoma and we went in and it was I couldn't find a place to park. And everybody's calling me like, "All right, where are you?" I'm like, "I've been driving around looking for a place to park." They had this huge country. I don't know who the it wasn't Toby Keith or anybody like that, but a new country artist that has a huge following. So we go in there and we're in the lobby and it's kind of late. It's like, for me, late for me, like nine o'clock because we haven't eaten dinner yet. So that's very late. And then the crowd starts coming out. It's, Where are the people going? The concert's over. Over? It's nine o'clock. <laughs> they shouldn't have done their sound check yet. Exactly. And sure enough, they were, everybody was, in, the parking lot was emptied by 930. <laughs> 86690 Red Eye. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. Coming up, the uh, Border Patrol uh, chief yesterday was uh, uh, asked a lot of questions uh, from the uh, Republicans because the uh, Democrats aren't there. Yeah. They don't, wish to, they don't wish to be there for the border. They said the Republicans are politicizing it, which, of course, we said is the weakest excuse ever because everything is politicized. Because they're politicians. And the House Poli- Democrats have never politicized right. anything or, right. you know, come up with like a even a bogus committee ever. That that didn't recently happen. You can politicize something and be right and it's good. Or you could politicize something and it could be wrong they're, and bad. They're politicians. Everything is politicized. <laughs> but making excuses. Yes. You know you can't be there because you can't say a damn thing about the broken border. Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, 86690-RED-EYE. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Download our app today, our Red Eye Radio app. Listen when and where you want if you cannot listen live overnight. You can still listen, you know, where you want if you listen live overnight. When it's now. Yeah, for the most part, where you want. Uh, you couldn't right. listen on the moon. It wouldn't be feasible. 
just because you want to go to the moon. Well, I don't think that, you know, that's probably not possible for uh, right now for the majority of human beings on the planet. Yeah. To even get, to, you'd have to get to the moon first. Right. Now, so now I don't know. Do we have the technology where they could listen? I'm assuming they could listen inside the space capsule on the way to the moon. It's a movie studio, dude. Oh, they it never happened. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's right. I forgot it never happened. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I still remember Buzz Aldrin punching that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got in his face. Airline. It never happened. Whap. <laughs> for those, for those who say. We went to the moon. <laughs> if there even is a moon. I'm I'm really bothered because I wasted the entire night as a 14-year-old at Boy Scout camp watching this very, very, uh, you know, blurry screen in black and white of them yes. landing. I mean, they, if, if, and, and here, here now it's a whole hoax. It never happened. Well, I, I, I spent uh, my nights at uh, Boy Scout camp chasing lizards with the delusion that if I caught one, I was going to be able to keep it as a pet. Never happened. Get into that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's get to the let's get to the border. All right. Uh, you know, Republicans in the, the House uh, holding hearings mm-hmm. uh, at uh, in uh, in Texas. And uh, yesterday, the the, uh, the uh, chief of the Border Patrol uh, Raul Ortiz uh, uh, testified, and this is part of the back and forth between Representative uh, Mark Green and the Border Patrol chief yesterday. Chief Ortiz, uh, does does DHS have operational control of our entire border? No, sir. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, I'd like to share it with the American people. This is the actual definition of operational control that is in the code, written into the code well before I came to Congress, the definition. And I appreciate the honesty of Chief Chief Ortiz. Do you think that uh, – let's play a video clip here. Uh, I just want to share this question. Will you testify under oath right now? Do we have operational control, yes or no? Yes, we do. And we have we operational are... control of the borders. Yes, we do. And... Chief Ortiz, do you think that uh, Secretary Mayorkas is lying there? Sir, when you talk about operational control, about 10 years ago, we used operational control as a measuring stick of our effectiveness along the southwest border. Uh, my new strategy is geared towards um, uh, mission advantage. So you you know I, I I'm asking a very specific question, yes, and I, I you're you're kind of describing how 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 the goalpost has been moved because of the mass waves of people that are coming. My question: You heard the secretary. He said we have operational control. That's the definition ba- of operational control. Based upon the control. definition you have, sir, up there, no, we don't have operational control. No, sir. But is Secretary Mariuk's line? I don't. I didn't see you, the rest of the testimony there, sir. He so was at. You, you saw. He was asked if we had question. operational control, and he said yes. I, I think it's either it's either ignorance, which is unacceptable, or it's lying. Uh, 4.7 million alien encounters, 1.3 million gotaways, a record number of individuals on the terrorist watch list, a record number of criminal alien encounters, a record number of aliens with gang affiliation encounters, a record number of drug seizures. Do these numbers project confidence? to the American people that DHS has operational control. 
I will tell you I have often confidence in the men and women that are executing the mission out there to the best of their ability. No, I We've seen that. across the southwest border nine sectors, and out of those nine sectors, four of them uh, have significant resources. When you think about the double-layer fencing, some of the surveillance technology, and then the amount of agents we deployed. Uh, but in five of those nine southwest border sectors, we have seen an increase in flow, and that has caused a considerable strain on our resources and really has forced the Border Patrol to move so, agents and even migrants to some of the other areas. Yeah, I, I pointed that out in my statement, too, that the cartels have figured out if they flood certain areas, you got to shift resources, and that's allowing them to have free reign. That, to me, is the cartels controlling the southern border. Does that... I mean, it, it, think about it. Think about it for a second. Like, like you're a military guy, and that's the perimeter, right? Do, do the drug cartels have control of sections of the perimeter of the United States? I will tell you that in certain areas, the cartels control an awful lot on the southern border, south of the United States. Our men and women are out there. I just spent the last three days here in South Texas patrolling with some of our agents, and they're doing a phenomenal job of responding to traffic that's coming across that you, border. You, you and, and that I plays both, out across the entire southwest border. You and I both deeply respect the men who work for you. And uh, I think they're doing yeoman's work. I've talked to, to you know sectors where they're, they're pulling 90 hours a week. These guys are killing themselves. Literally 17 of them have committed suicide because they've been overwhelmed why is this huge surge here? What's what's the cause? What's the difference? You were here under the last administration during COVID, all the excuses that have been given. So what changed? Several things have changed, I think, across the, the world, if you think about it this way. You know, this is we've seen individuals from 159 countries already this fiscal so year. So why do they feel suddenly after January of 2021 that they can come here? I would think that there's a, we have what we call push and pull factors. Some of those push factors are certainly going to be economic conditions in their host countries. Those so, ha those were there before, yes, Chief. Sir. I mean, they were no. there before. Hurricanes happened in Central America before. What changed? I think it, as you look at the U.S. and what we're experiencing now with the economic conditions that we have here, when you think about the health conditions that we have here, we're in much better position than most of the countries that we're dealing with just Again, to I, it just uh, I would assert to you that all that was there before January 21. The COVID was there before 20, 2021. Uh, the economic challenges were there before 2021. I would submit to you that it's two things, and your sector chiefs have told me what they are. One, they're the policies. There, and, and those policies came from the promises the president made during his campaign. And two, the State Department has allowed the return agreements to expire. Not renegotiating those agreements has prevented ICE from being able to send people back. Is that not correct? I will tell you, our inability to repatriate individuals to certain countries is a tremendous a challenge for us. And I would agree with that. On the there you go. Yeah. You know, it's... um. You look at the experience of uh, countless Border Patrol agents that have been up there, including Raul Ortiz, the chief that you just heard in that testimony. Uh, he's going to reach 32 years of service uh, coming up uh, in a couple of months. And this is somebody who is, they are all dedicated. These individuals aren't quiet quitters. They're the opposite of quiet quitters. 180 degrees. And it is a 
you know, you're not going to get a, a, an existing border patrol chief to, to get up there and say, you know, well, we're not controlling our own border because in doing so, in testimony, he's basically saying either I'm not doing my job or the agents aren't doing their job. They're doing the job to the best of their ability, and that's the question. I would like to hear him say, as sector chiefs, and he was sector chief in Del Rio, uh, in uh, the Del Rio sector, and also the uh, uh, the Rio Grande sector south of there uh, for a while. And I would like him to say, the policies and and the promises we believe drove them. Look, we see them. We're not out there every single day working 90 hours a week in a thankless job like Border Patrol agents. But we do see individuals coming here saying, Biden told us to come here. Because we saw it during his campaign in 2020. He lined it out. He said it. He promoted it. This isn't something that's hidden, but I would like, you know, to see Raul Ortiz say that, yes, we're seeing people come here. And we're seeing them say it's because the Biden administration has welcomed us here. I don't think that's anything negative to say. But, you know, in that role, you're going to be technical and that's just the way it's going to be. One day when his title is former Border Patrol chief, it may it may be different. And for the former Border Patrol chief, his predecessor, it was. Yeah. And it still is. Yeah. And that's the way it goes. Are you going to throw your are you going to call your boss a liar in testimony? No, it's not going to happen. After he retires and leaves the board, he I don't know. I can't tell you. I don't pretend to know what Raul Ortiz is going to say. But I'm just saying that in that setting, you're never going to call your boss a liar unless you're on your way out the door. But he is. But Mayorkas is is a clear liar. liar. Right. And I guess my response uh, to if I were in that seat, um, I guess my response would be, I don't think he's telling uh, the truth, I don't think it's accurate. I can't tell you what's going on in his mind, but I can tell you that's not the case. Well, and he did say and, that. And that, and that's why, because that, he did answer the question, because Green said, well, yep. here it is. Mm-hmm. This is from, you know, the Border Patrol law right here. Right, this right. is what operational control is. Is that the case? Is that the case? No. no. We do not buy, exactly. buy that case there. No. Again, he doesn't. Right. he's not going to come come out and call him a liar, but it's not accurate. It's not true. So you can, you can apply whatever you want to uh, to it uh, for you know, whatever effect. Mayorkas is a liar. And he's an arrogant, defiant liar in a way that James Comey is and other individuals who have served in high positions of power that that are supposed to be leading men and women and don't care. In fact, they're willing to throw them under the bus. They are willing to lie about their behavior the two border patrol agents accused of whipping. By the way, he did say he supports the two border patrol agents. Yes, yes. Yeah, he, but there, he made, he made that. He, yeah, he and made, and it, it's just it would be it would be tragic for anybody in that position to come back and say, "Well, no, I think they, 
I think Mayorkas and all of them did the right thing. No, that was absolutely tragic. But it was their way of getting cover, and they knew they could get the media on that story that was fake. It was it was a lie from the beginning. It still is a lie. And two Border Patrol agents paid the price for that lie. And that's just the way that's just the way that works. That that's the way it goes. But that's also who Mayorkas is as a person and who our president, the commander in chief, is as a person. They're willing to lie. Eight six six ninety red eye. Surviving and thriving as an owner-operator has just as much to do with managing costs as it does with generating revenue. Understanding basic principles of operating costs can save you thousands of dollars a year. Costs are not the same each month. If 9,600 miles are driven one month and 10,000 miles the next, two different sets of costs apply for each month. For example, if your tractor payment is $1,850 per month and you drive 9,600 miles in the month, your tractor payment is costing you 19.3 cents per mile. Drive 10,000 miles, though, and that same payment will cost you 18.5 cents per mile. This is one of your major fixed costs while paying off a truck loan. The difference in this example is only a fraction of a cent, which may seem like small change, but it ultimately amounts to $960 more annually on the bottom line. Because though fixed costs do not go down over time, you can reduce your cost per mile with more paid miles. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. In Trend Eye Radio, he's Eric Carney, and I'm Gary McNamara. Just more audio yesterday from the House Committee hearing on U.S. border security with uh, the Border Patrol Chief Raul uh, Ortiz uh, yesterday that the Democrats did not attend. Chief, when you look at the cartels and the fact that they're making billions of dollars uh, off of the human trafficking, the, the, the smuggling of drugs, um, the humanitarian crisis, 53 people died in a tractor trailer in July of last year south of San Antonio, not too far from here. Do you believe that the cartels are acting as a terrorist organization? Whether they're acting as a terrorist organization or a criminal organization, I think that the Border Patrol, CBP, DHS, all of our partner agencies need to concentrate their efforts against the cartels because they certainly are working both in the human trafficking arena as well as the narcotics trafficking arena. And we recognize that they have expanded their capabilities immensely. And so I think it's got to be a whole of government approach. And for me, they are criminals. They are 100 percent criminal organizations. Do you believe that we are acting as a whole of government approach to 
prevent the cartels from what they're doing? I will tell you from a law enforcement perspective, we've got tremendous partnerships and we're going to continue to do that. Once again, I believe it's a capacity issue. We need more officers on the front lines. Do you think we can do more? Yes, sir. Of course. You know, it's uh, what we see right now. uh, The State Department, every time they issue travel warnings, you know, it, it, I I guess it just doesn't really resonate with people. Unless you just happen to be in travel mode, it doesn't resonate with people. But it should, even if you're not going to Mexico. And that's part of what we're, you know, seeing with the Americans killed recently uh, by the cartels in, in Mexico. Uh, I believe that part of Mexico was at a, a level four State Department travel warning. And so those are the, you know, things that that basically tell you the story. You have to put them together. The president isn't going to come down, come out and say, look how dangerous it is. But when you live in a border state, then, you know, you see the activity, you see the local reports. But having spent so many years, you know, on the living on the border in Del Rio, you were always exposed to it. There was always that level of, okay, you got to be careful. Now, I wasn't an adult at the time, so it wasn't like, okay, I've got to make a choice on where I buy a house or anything like this. Uh, you and I were looking at it that there were, you know, you, you saw this yeah. listing for a, a house for sale, and it was a beautiful house. Beautiful house. Yeah. And and the, 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 the price on it was really low compared to where – you know, like, we are here in North Texas. It was like two, it was like two hundred and fifty thousand. I looked yeah. at you and I I showed you the house. I said, "Look at this house here. Yeah, it's only two hundred and fifty thousand. It's like yeah, it's down near the it's down right just a couple of miles from the southern border. Right, look like a nice neighborhood. Yeah. That that yeah. house would have been half a million six hundred thousand up here probably. And that's you know, and the thing is, is that um, I have friends who have family members that of course aren't going to uh, leave their hometown. Um, and it's uh, Del Rio is the, the hometown of, of Raul Ortiz. And 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 you look at that and you so that becomes even more heartbreaking when you see your hometown overrun. The mayor of Del Rio, uh, the, you know, uh, with the with the international bridge setting and, and he was outraged. This is somebody who is a Democrat and lots of border state Democrats are outraged because they don't have control of their towns or their districts, or their counties. And it's because this administration insists on an open border and the cartels are having their way. And get a word in edgewise. Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. And he is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. You know, when you think that the Democrats now for the second time did not show up for a border hearing. Yeah. You know, last time right. they lied about it and said, 
we weren't informed that it was going on. We weren't given notice, and they were mm-hmm. given three weeks' notice. Yeah. And they were given notice of, of this and even had somebody that they had as their own witness and then said, no, we're not going to participate in this because the Republicans are the, the border. They just want to politicize it and attack the administration and attack Biden. Right. And we're not going to be part of it. Right. Of course, we all know that's a load of uh, horse manure. And the reason we know that is because all politics is about one side attacking the other side. It's whether you have an argument or not. Right. You show up when you have an argument. That's what you do. And I really think that the Democratic Party is at the point where you have some people. We saw the president come out and attempt to justify the the uh, mutilation of children to support the liberal transgender activist movement and attempt to go after and say what uh, DeSantis is doing is somehow sinful. Nobody buys it. No. Nobody no. buys that. You had the the wacky lieutenant uh, uh, governor of Minnesota that tried to to frame it, and we had played that earlier. The liberal transgender activist movement and the mutilation of children. Of we need to listen to our young children. We need to listen to them. Got nothing yeah. to do with listening to them. It's no. it, it's it's a, a wide variety of things that no. Uh, we're the parents. We're the adults. Just because a child wants something does not mean we give it to them, and. It, when, you, when you think about how some Democrats are doubling down, I think that on a on a whole ton of issues, they don't know what to do. You know, I you look back last week at Matt Taibbi and, and Michael Schellenberger and the way the Democrats have come out full bore for government censorship and for demonizing two journalists on the left that still believe in journalism. They may be liberals, but they believe as most liberals used to believe in true journalism yeah. and not political activism right. if you're going to be a journalist. And they just demonized them, didn't succeed in any way, and came out just incredibly pro-government, should be involved in the censorship business, and the vast majority of the American public disagrees with them. They disagree with them on the liberal transgender activist movement. They disagree with them on the border. And I really think we're at a point where Democrats don't know what to do. And I want to read parts of this op-ed piece by Julian Epstein in the Wall Street Journal. Now, he's a well-known, well-known Democrat, served Mm -hmm. as chief counsel uh, to the House Judiciary Committee and staff director to the House Oversight Committee Democrats. Well-known Democrat, well-known liberal in D.C. All right. And he writes, Democrats fear the truth about Biden's 2024 presidential run. A re-election campaign is uh, a manifestly bad idea, but members of his own party are too cowardly to admit it. I They can't admit that they're wrong on all these issues, so in some cases they have to back it up and they come off looking like just... And, and the liberal transgender activist movement and, and uh, gender uh, uh, surgery or mutilation of children, they seem to become... freaking monsters yeah uh you know that and it's just like you need to shut up you need and then biden's out there leading and you have some of the radicals come out the whole party's behind it but now they realize i believe they can't win the argument on the border so we're not going to show up i wonder how many more committee hearings on censorship and 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 uh 
uh, you know, and and Biden on possible influence peddling mm. that they're just going to start saying we're just not going to start showing for any of this because we come off better if we just don't show up. Yeah. And right. when you look at this, he goes, Democrats have spent uh, seven years uh, uh uh, uh, going after Republicans for refusing to distance themselves from Donald Trump uh, on election, Russia election interference. But my fellow Democrats have shown their own kind of cowardice by refusing to say that President Biden should not run for election. Polls show most Democrat voters don't want Mr. Biden to run again, but Democrat elites apparently believe that any dissent from the party leadership or independent thinking, even in the name of an obvious truth, is dangerous to their job security. Uh, you can say that on almost every issue out there that they're uh, backing and uh, uh, talks about the reasons why the problem. There are four reasons that Biden should run. First, he consistently makes embarrassing and confused misstatements on nearly every policy front. Afghanistan glaringly inept claims about Al Qaeda's reconstitution and his general support for total withdrawal. Yeah. That's a Democrat admitting that, right. among many others. Ukraine, the suggestion that minor incursions by Russia may be tolerated and followed by an implication that forces from the North Atlantic Treaty Organization could join the conflict. Student loan forgiveness, false claims that Congress authorized it, nearly every other major policy area, and even his own life story. Now, this is as liberal as a Democrat as you can get. He's always been a gaffe machine. But his condition is worsening. The president seems frequently confused on stage, unable to identify public officials, and even calling on a deceased official. None of us can imagine him surviving a press grilling without countless mistakes. An increasingly partisan mainstream news media gives Mr. Biden a pass. A few years ago, the media would have savaged any president for the mind-numbing regularity of those gaffes. Uh, second, the Biden economy has been the worst performing of any Democratic president since Jimmy Carter by most, me- by most measures. And then goes, goes into all of it. Uh, third, uh, while the partisans in the news media would make you believe that the president has significant legislative accomplishments, it's a hard case to make. The infrastructure bill was a consensus bipartisan bill years in the making. The CHIPS Act, while important, had no meaningful dissent. The Inflation Reduction Act hasn't much reduced inflation and the bill's renewable energy subsidies, while helpful, will have a marginal impact on climate change without a more meaningful international framework on carbon reduction. Remember, he's a liberal on this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And fourth, Mr. Biden's promise to govern as a centrist, but stayed silent until this month when local progressives pushed him to defund uh, the police and reduce prosecutions holding fewer criminal suspects amid dramatic crime spikes in the nation's cities. The White House denied that local school administrators were pushing extremist ideas on race and gender, despite mounting evidence that many are. There were three, nearly 3 million illegal border crossings in 2022, a record, and the White House shrugged its shoulders. This is a point that we're making, that every, the Democrats know what their weaknesses are and you said well this is a weakness of the president well on the issues it's the weakness of the democratic party they can't even defend it and they won't defend it and if they try to defend it they come off looking like incredible radicals as i said monsters when it comes to to uh to to children 
you know, the uh, uh, perverted monsters uh, in an attempt to promote the liberal transgender activist movement. And there Mr. Epstein points out, well-known Democrat, liberal, exactly what the problems are, and everybody knows it, and they just pretend it doesn't exist. That It's something that I think a lot, most everyone, in fact, is watching, looking in on this, and 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 scratching their heads. We played the audio earlier when it said that. Well, we need to listen to our children. The lieutenant governor from Minnesota. Yeah. So you hear the smattering of applause, the obligatory type of applause. That was not a crowd that was worked up and driven in agenda mode to mutilate children. That is something you're not going to be able to render out of most people a passion to mutilate children. I'm thinking they probably need to make some room in that special place in hell. Yeah. We're going to have to expand that room. Yep. Yeah. And and again, the, the cockiness, this is the thing, the cockiness of the president you know, to uh, to believe he can make an argument and go directly at DeSantis in Florida for this. It's like you actually believe you can win. Sinful. Yeah, you can. You believe you can win this argument. You're sinful. not going to win it. That implies that God wants you to mutilate children. Oh, right. How dare you be against that? And let's bring. We find. We're, I'm the leader of the Democratic Party. I'm Joe Biden. I finally found religion when it comes to the mutilation of children. Well, that didn't take long. It was just a few short years ago. They were booing God at their convention, and now God wants you to mutilate children. It might not be that might not be better. <laughs> no, that's. I didn't say it was better. No, I know, I know, yeah. I know. Yeah, no, I'm, that didn't take long though, did it? No. And I, yeah, that's what, exactly what I, what I was it. saying was you make the comparison. Booing God means you reject him completely, but you found God when it comes to the mutilation of children. Yeah, with, sure. with, without parent consent, without parental consent. That was my point. Not that you had said it, yeah. but just comparing the two. Right. And those, you know, you look at that, though. I mean, but they are, they have for a long time talked about the right to kill an unborn child. The right. And now they look at this situation. Oh, my gosh. Here's a way we can get in and take the the, the, the power from the parents. Because if we can gain this kind of power and take that from the parents, then we can do, we can do anything. We have complete control of children. And the parents won't have any say so in anything in their life you'll take my control of my children from my cold dead hands but uh for mr epstein that's not only a problem with why the president shouldn't run but that's the problem with the democratic party if you're going to apply a lot of those besides the the gaffes if you're going to apply you know the the other reasons why you don't believe donald trump or donald trump that uh, joe biden should run then you have to apply apply it to the majority of democrats in the house and the senate who plan on running on that exact same platform yeah if it's a problem for the president 
It's no, a problem this is going for the Democratic be, Party. This is going to be their Thursday night at their DNC. It will be front and center on stage. How can it not be? You can't reverse this. It, what's interesting is that we talked about a, a number of things where the president is clearly running. You know, yeah. uh, opening up just enough of drilling. It's really not significant. It's just enough to talk about it. Um, you know, and a number of things here where recently where it's like, okay, yeah, he's definitely running. And then he goes on late night TV and proudly promotes the mutilation of children. What does that tell you? That tells you that they believe, they believe this has to be front and center yeah. for their party. I know. <laughs> Thursday night, prime time. <laughs> but but you, you think about it. All right, we need to move to the middle here, 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 here. Now I'm going to go on one of the uh, uh, nightly entertainment shows, and I'm going to promote the fact that it's sinful not to wish to mutilate children. Yeah. And to have parents involved when it comes to children and sexuality, children mm. that it's like uh, you're sort of blowing all your work to an attempt to move to the center if that's what you're going to promote. And then you go after the person, the politician in the United States that's been most effective in mm-hmm. fighting that battle. Mm-hmm. And it's DeSantis. And then you go after him and it's Biden who cannot who can't answer two or three questions unless it's a, you know, a entertainment reporter who won't do any follows up, follow-ups or criticize him. As Julian Epstein said, he can't do a press conference. Everybody no. knows he no. can't do it. No. That's why he turns around and walks away on every single issue. He turns around and walks away. He cannot be cross-examined on any issue that he believes. Nope. But then again, neither can the Democrats. That's why they won't show up. Exactly. They're not They're yep. not at those border hearings, are they? 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio. Toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 Red Eye. Some interesting climate change polling uh, out there and some uh, of the population shifts over the last couple of years yeah. by state uh, was out yesterday. Really mm. some interesting numbers that uh, we will uh, get to. Plus, uh, Ron DeSantis uh, and the attacks on him uh, on what he said about Ukraine. Yeah. <laughs> when you actually read it, though, in full what he said it is much more in the mainstream of what the people of the united states actually think about ukraine yeah this is red eye radio on westwood one Now, it's Red Eye Radio 
Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, 866-90-RED-EYE. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Download our app today, our Red Eye Radio app. And if you can't listen live overnight, you can listen when and where you want. All right, so this, you know, you, you wonder where the public is right now, where the voter is right now. Rasmussen did this. Ramaswamy asked this question or made this statement the other day when he said climate change has become a religion that actually has nothing to do with climate and is really about power and control. So you're not asking the question whether you believe in climate change. Right. You're actually going much deeper into the question saying, has it become a religion and actually the that is this has nothing to do with climate and it's really about power and control? Because if you want a message that conservatives have been promoting for the longest time, that is as conservative of a way of framing that question as I've seen. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, it's not, do you believe in climate change uh, and do you believe we can solve it? Or it's not even just asking, do you believe in climate change? It's making the case that Republican conservatives and some libertarians have made for years that this is their religion. Yeah, and and that's right. why uh, science doesn't matter. Right. And it's why they can make these doomsday predictions. You think about it and... The predictions they're making on climate change have been some been like some radical religions out there that promote the fact that the world's going to be ending next year, mm-hmm. or it's going to be ending the year after that. I predict it's going to end in twenty nineteen. Why is that? The Bills win the Super Bowl, and then so there's no reason to continue. Uh, no, because I believe we're going to zero out the calendar and start all over, and then it will end in twenty nineteen. When 2019 comes back around again. <laughs> I don't frankly fully understand that statement, but I'll well, go with it. I was trying to not have to explain the joke, making uh, a prediction that the world will end four years ago. Oh, you don't okay. get the joke. I get, I, it. Predict- I get it now. I get it. Yes. Okay. I get it now. Yes. Yeah. I was yes. working to not have yes. to do that, but okay. thanks. All right. <laughs> So here it is. So here's the question, okay? All right. Do you agree or disagree with this statement, climate mm-hmm. change has become a religion that actually has nothing to do with uh, about has nothing to do with the climate and is really about power and control? Yes, yes, yes. Republicans 79% agree with that statement. Independents 59% agree with that statement. Here's the interesting part here. Democrats, how many Democrat voters agree with the statement climate change has become a religion that actually has nothing to do with the climate and is really about power and control? 45% of Democrats believe that. Mm -hmm. Do you know what a shift that is? Did that, you that, say that, shift or shift? Shift, <laughs> shift. That that that's a bigger shift from me thinking you were saying twenty twenty nine the world's going to end uh-huh. to twenty nineteen. Yeah, yeah. That's a 
probably, if you think about it, it's not surprising. The question would be then, from there, how many of you are accepting of that kind of behavior? Because we did hear from Democrats on health care. Oh, I'm okay with them lying. I'm okay with them lying. Actually, they said, we're okay with them lying about anything as long as it gets the agenda done. So the question would be for these individuals, these Democrat, the Democrat uh, rank and file, the, the, the voter. How many are okay with the lies because it gets them more power and control? Well, or because that that's a, a possibility. Hmm. The other possibility is inflation. Mm-hmm. They're feeling the cost of the policies of climate change, and they are realizing they have to pay for it. Just like with health care. <laughs> just, just like, yeah, exactly. Just like with, with health care, they have to pay for it. And this isn't like a choice of, or can you, you can get, you know, free health care when you got to pay for gasoline, when you have to pay for electricity, when you have to pay the increased cost of that. You feel it across the board, and then you realize, because these things, for example, the whole Greta Thunberg thing this week where she deleted her tweet, that her tweet that said the world's going to end, she made it a few years back. It's almost like the 2019, (laughs) that the world's going to end this June. Yeah. And it was noticed when she deleted that tweet. The world was going to come to an end. That's what she was promoting. And remember, that's when Democrats were saying, the child will leave us, lead us to a paradise without climate change. Hmm. Remember all the media? The child knows. Well, the child got that one wrong, didn't she? Man, she was making the circuit. Her agent was busy. Oh, yeah. And and so they see that, and that makes popular culture, and they say, you know, all this stuff's costing me, and all these doomsday predictions that never come true, maybe I'm being conned by these people, and I don't like paying the costs. The thing that does change people is when they have to pick up the cost of it, when they finally realize, and like I said, across the board with inflation, this is finally, nobody really gave a damn about the debt. They didn't. You know, we talked about it the last couple of years, how when we get, by the time we got to 2016, Republicans didn't care about the debt anymore. It just seemed to not be an issue. Mm-hmm. And we said, well, eventually you're going to have to, well, no, the debt's no problem. I remember eight, nine months ago, we were still getting calls. Well, the debt's not really a problem. Nobody's saying that now, now that the that, that inflation is directly tied to government spending and the debt. No, no. And, you know, those are the things that you could sit, you could sit around a room with a number of people and, and have a conversation and the talk is cheap, but the policy isn't. When enacted as policy, you can't make the case because people are paying for it every day. They're like, ah, everything. And and it happened with health care. But we broke it down yesterday, and the incentives for EVs. Well, okay, that means that we're going to have to quit using, you know, the the other types of vehicles and everything's getting, why is everything getting, why are cars so expensive? Why are non-EVs so expensive? It's the cost of the policy. You're paying for it if you drive an SUV. Yeah. And 
then you look into, uh, you know, other energy uh, costs, your home. Well, we're going to we're going to ban the use of natural gas. Electricity only in new buildings. Well, the cost of that starts right away. The regulation comes with a cost and you pay it. Well, who's paying it? Who's paying the brunt of it? Who gets affected the hardest? It's the poor and the middle class. Because the regulation comes in. In order to enact the regulation, you start with those incentives, but then, which, by the way, are going to the wealthy. They're the only ones that can afford to do the upgrades. But then the traditional forms of energy have to be outlawed and banned. And that makes them more expensive. They have to be regulated heavily at first to the point of you phase them out. with Well, why are you phasing it out? Why would you be doing a transition to end something that's working? Well, we can get away with it because we're telling everybody the world is ending. 45% of Democrats don't believe that. Yeah. And it's not that they, no, I don't believe in climate change. It's that it's become a religion that exactly. actually has nothing to do exactly. with the climate and is really about power and control, yep. about <clears throat> taking your money yeah. and having the government be in control of your money. When 45% of Democratic voters believe that, mm-hmm. you've lost that because all voters are 60%. You've lost climate change completely as an election issue. Mm-hmm. That's, you know... But it it's never been one of those, again, it's it's um, abstract versus reality. Do you think climate change is a problem? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Should we do something about it? Oh, yeah, yeah, we better do something. Will you give us $100 right now on climate change? No. Uh, no. No. Well, why not? It's going to save the planet. Yeah, I don't know about that. Would you spend $100 on a lottery ticket or to stop climate change? Oh, lottery ticket. Lottery all day. ticket. Yeah, but your odds are, you know, one in a trillion of winning it. Yeah, the, the odds are zero. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that scene the other day. I was at a place and it was on but the volume wasn't on and i was reading the lips of that scene from dumb and dumber so you're saying there's a chance and that's the policy is very very absolute you're going to pay for it but they build it out based on that fear including greta you know uh, teaching young children oh my gosh the world is going to end to the point of well then it gets she is so convinced that the convincers, that sounds like a horrible <laughs> 60s TV show from the BBC, doesn't it? The convincers. Yeah. Uh, they're the ones now who are the bad guys, which we said, look, eventually that's going to happen in every case, in every agenda item on the left. That's inevitably you're going to be the oppressor because. Net zero is not zero, and that's where they are. She doesn't believe they're doing anything. Why is that? Well, 
think about that because she thinks like a child. She was taught this as a child. Brainwashed. And as she's going through her life, then, and children will question things. Well, wait a minute. What are they actually doing? Which is what everybody should, it's the way everybody should be thinking about it. Wait a minute. Okay, we got a this tax, that tax, this cost, this regulation. What does it actually do? There are things you can measure for air pollution, but that's not what we're talking about. That's why they had to come in with the whole CO2 thing and that, well, well now we can just, we'll just deem this pollution. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, well. Uh, Don't tell that the, to plants. I- exactly. And so the, but. So with uh, emissions and everything else, you can measure particulate matter and people can go, oh, yeah, well, I don't see as much smog or whatever. Well, but the greater political effect is to come up with something that you can't see. You can't see CO2. Well, there you go. Oh, my gosh, man, it's going to be over soon. It's going to be over soon. When? Well, uh, later. Well, well, soon is that you predicted already that it's going to be, and how many times have we been here? In in 89, it was the year 2000. In 2000, it was the year 2010. In 2010, it was the year 2020. And now it's 20, is it 2030? Is it 2035? Well, Greta said it was 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had to take that down. Now, she's not a predictor. She's been taught this. She believed that. At that time. But if climate change, if they claim that they have the side of science, uh, uh, you know, on their side, then how come uh, the predictions they make never come true? Right. Nobody ever questions on the science of the fact, Greta said, uh, that the world will end by this June. Uh, Biden said, or not Biden, but uh, 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 what's his name? Al Gore. I mean, how many times has he said it's going to be over. The media, how oh, many yeah. times did they say it was going to be over? And they keep screaming, we have the science on our side. Well, every projection you make of the doomsday scenario is wrong. Mm-hmm. When you start questioning saying, well, if science is on your side, how come all of your predictions, your doomsday predictions, which are meant to encourage people in government policy, how come they're all wrong? Right. That question isn't asked, is it? Nope. Well, it is to us, but it's not asked. We ask to the them. questions, yes. but nobody's asking yeah. that question of them. And they're the ones creating the policy that costs everyone, that, that is a burden on every single person. 86690 Red Eye. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Friday Radio. He is Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Uh, <laughs> just reading the Babylon Bee here. <laughs> yeah. Just some of the headlines. Mm. I mean, they're just great. <laughs> In honor of Women's History Month, woman kneels before man. Yeah. 
Oh, I just love that. And a man got his uh, image put on a candy bar wrapper yeah. during international to honor International Women's Day. That's true. Yeah, that that's so. that story is one of the the Drew Barrymore story. Right, right. The kneeling thing. Yeah, the kneeling yeah. thing. Uh, this is a favorite. Just the headlines here. Bank learns a hard lesson that if they invest their money irresponsibly, the government will bail them out. <laughs> yeah. Here's another one I love. Man struggling to feed family, just glad he could help bail out bank. It's funny because it's I know. actually true. That's actually, Yeah, that's true. Colin Kaepernick sues adoptive parents for $21 million in reparations. <laughs> you saw he wrote yeah. the book and yeah. went after his parents. Right. For their whiteness. That that you could read that and say, where does this headline come from? And I might have answered uh, the Washington Post. <laughs> that, is, that it's a true story. Now, this one, you might doubt yeah. the truthfulness of this headline. All right. Judge rules John Deere tractor can compete in women's powerlifting. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I'm not sure. Uh, wait for it. And you saw the San Francisco board. They're, they're aboard now for $5 million in reparations. Yeah. That, that money, you know, look, the math isn't, the math is not a consideration. Right. That Yeah, this, this shouldn't be about money. Well, it is because you put a price on it. Exactly. Yeah. And as we sort of figured it out yesterday yeah. that 50,000, mm-hmm. uh, uh, there are 50,000, estimated 50,000 blacks in San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, times, Five million apiece, right? Two hundred and fifty billion dollars. Yeah, the annual budget of San Francisco is fourteen billion. Mm. Go ahead and buy. By the way, and we said this yesterday. We want to make note. We are glad. We are very, very happy that the liberals in San Francisco are finally realizing that their racism, <clears throat> uh, identity politics that they knowingly practice and actually promote. Uh, is worth reparations to that extent that finally they yeah. are they are they are this is their act of contrition for their racism that the far left uh, has been promoting for a mm-hmm. significant period of time. Right, we're glad that they realize it. Yes. So, San Francisco, we appreciate the liberals in San Francisco. You owning up to your racist mindset yeah. and the harm that it has caused. Yeah, and Great since, job. since we believe in federalism, we believe that if a city wishes to do this or a state, go ahead. Sure. We have 50 states where we can do all of these experiments, and if cities wish to do it, you can do your experiment yep. too. Yep. You've done you've done the experiment in defunding the police. Right. How's that working out for you, huh? Yeah. Well, and your policy in San Francisco makes it, makes it so expensive that even $5 million isn't that much money if you're living in San Francisco. <laughs> And Eric Harley taking your calls. 1-866-90-RED-EYE. 
And he's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. This is just, this is great. The Hoover Institution, the, uh, the, the think tank, actually did an analysis on the San Francisco reparations. Wow. All right. And, and, uh, we, we did just an, you know, an overall, you, I'd seen that they're, 50,000, estimated 50,000 blacks. What they're saying is only 35,000 would be a, a 18 or above. Right. All right. So, uh, and, and so they, they looked at that. But then they also said one of the problems is, uh, he goes, uh, two key factors that he has not accounted for in the calculations. Uh, he said that would make the cost even a lot more. He said, one, I'm not able to count account for African-Americans who are not living in San Francisco now, but who lived there in the past and who might meet the eligibility requirements. That may expand the pool of eligible recipients substantially because the city's African-American population was larger in previous years. The other factor that suggests my estimate may be conservative is that I include only those individuals whom the census identifies as African-American or black as a single demographic group and not those whose heritage includes two or more races per the census. This is potentially important because there are more mixed rate, uh, mixed race individuals living in San Francisco than there are African-Americans. Some mixed race individuals may be able to qualify as African-Americans, which would expand the uh, pool of eligible requ- uh, 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 recipients uh, as uh, would uh, any mixed race individuals who formerly lived in San Francisco. So mm. the conservative estimate for all of it, because, you know, they, they look at the, uh, uh, the, the, the cost of $97,000 every year for 250 years yeah. would have to be paid right. also in guaranteed income. Mm-hmm. And that's about 25 billion a year. All right. So you've already got close to, you know, 200 billion by their estimate, you know, of the, the actual 5 million, which could be 300 billion. Yeah, you know, de- you know, depending on it, and then looked at the, um, uh, the you know, paying off all the debts, which would be another five billion, uh, and then the fourth estimate would be converting public housing units that are owned by the city into privately owned condominiums for a one dollar buy-in. You know, and they, you know, and again, all these are lowballing it, uh, but that would be you know two billion. And goes on to, you know, look at all the, he says, so many other things you can't look into it. But the minimum cost would be 600000 per household in, you know, 600000 Every household in San Francisco, non-African-American, or I'll say non-recipient, yeah. because mixed races would also be in there. So right. yeah. the, the uh, non-recipients the wouldn't have to pay any of this. Right. None of this would right. be expected for them to to be paid so it would be 600,000 per household and they said well they're not they the money isn't there you can't tax people that amount they don't have that you have to come up with the money you'd have to have right. some kind of bonds that would go for hundreds of years right in order to do something like this they said so what would they look for they looked to go after the corporations and they said the result of this would be major flight from San Francisco and massive bankruptcy that, of course, it's not possible. But this, I think this is a perfect example to show, you know, this, that you want virtue signaling? I care more than you do. So we're going to, uh, we're going to announce a figure for reparations 
that is impossible, but the more impossible it is, the more I can prove to you that I care about the history of racism in San Francisco. We can't pay it. But, but that be- doesn't matter. That's That proves <clears throat> right. how much I care. Right. I care because I, I do, say I care. I want to do the impossible. I mean, it is. I, I can't imagine. Uh, I wonder. I asked you and I have. I, that's, I found this article because I was looking for polling mm-hmm. in San Francisco on it. I haven't found any polling right. of the residents of San Francisco, what they think about that. Right. Has, have they not done it because they're afraid <laughs> what the results would be? <laughs> well, I mean, that honestly, uh, maybe they they don't want to see it. Maybe this was because it seems to be one that is gained traction not with the public but with them faster in other words it seems it feels like they're trying to push this through we'll deal with reality later we want to be seen as heroes and i honestly i can't imagine the number of lawsuits Oh, yeah. Oh, legal fees. <laughs> For the sake. It is going to be astronomical. And if you if you come out and then have a, because there's no way to do it otherwise uh, for the city, they're going to have to earmark a certain move, you know, if they're going to uh, go after corporations or whatever it's going to be. You're going to have to name that fee, and that fee is going to be based on, okay, you're paying for to fund this, which is to say you're directly financially responsible for that, which means you're also responsible for the oppression. So there are some lawsuits I just touched on, probably three different types of lawsuits Mm -hmm. right there alone about okay we're burdened with the cost that is damaging to us when we weren't responsible in any way for the oppression but also we bear the cost of publicly that's what it looks like on on paper if historians were to review this in the future and they look back corporations or individuals or whoever it is paid for this it is all, it, it, and the people decided through their local representatives, city council, to get this done. Then it was done so because it was the will of the people to do it. And that means those individuals were responsible for that oppression. You've created so much damage in this. I don't know how it would ever get out of the courts. It would be never-ending yeah. lawsuits. Plus, who's the recipient? How do you prove, you know, you've been discriminated? Because that's the point would be, well, San Francisco's discriminating against me mm-hmm. because I'm mixed, but I come from, you know, the, the you know, the uh, 
my you know my uh, ancestors were mm-hmm. slaves mm-hmm. i'm a descendant of slaves mm-hmm. you know on on you know on 45% or 40% of my makeup mm-hmm. i'm telling you one thing the uh all the uh, the the dna sites be doing mm-hmm. active business in san francisco would they not well i mean because if you could show if you could demonstrate <clears throat> Um, that are that you are a descendant, then my question would be, all right, why are you picking and choosing who is qualifying here? Uh, because it's not based on that. There is no talk about, all right, you must demonstrate you are a direct descendant. Well, then if you're not going to have that, then you basically open the door for anybody and everybody to claim that Especially if those individuals who are descendants come in and say, well, wait a minute, I wasn't given anything, and I am a, des- a, a descendant, and some other people got the benefit, and they are not. You know, whatever they, mm-hmm. you know, however they were going to try and... and uh, However it's finally written. Qualify that. Right, right, exactly. It depends on how they write it. But honestly, there is no there is no win here. It's a, it's a massive, all. it's a massive liberal circular firing squad like you've never seen ever well, because, on anything else. Because what you're basically saying is, would you, you know, I could win this lottery. <laughs> well, lawyers look at the amount of money. Think about the you, you think that you're sick and tired of the Camp Lejeune commercials, right? Wait yeah. till the trial lawyers get a hold of what they've approved. Three hundred billion dollars. Yeah, right. For reparations, right. I can't even imagine what the the lawsuits that would be filed for that kind of money. The lawyers right now. Now, by the way, the all lawyer groups in San Francisco are for this. <laughs> it's for are for oh, the right. five million in reparations. Oh, it will be it will be a rush on the courthouse. Forget about the um, Silicon Valley <laughs> Bank. There's going to be a rush on the courthouse. And the effect, too, will be uh, that Silicon Valley will look more like Death Valley because people will abandon San Francisco in that area oh, yeah, gone. and get gone. out of there. Businesses will be gone. There's no way you can take on it because even if they don't put it directly on corporations, they put it on individuals and then it becomes a greater um, cost to those individuals in a city that is arguably – if not the most, one of the most, one of the top or most expensive cities in the in the country. I'd have to double check that cost of living. I think is uh, at the top there in San Francisco. I don't know if it is actually number one, but it is. It's over the top expensive, and you're going to catapult this, which means what? Well, the talent pool isn't going to be there. And as they write here at the Hoover Institution, the size of this tax likely means San Francisco businesses would be expected to pay for much of the cost of the proposal. However, businesses are becoming increasingly open to relocation, particularly since the pandemic. And this problem is particularly acute in San Francisco, where already, for example, Snap, the parent company of Snapchat, pulled out of San Francisco yeah. uh, a few months ago. Walter Chen, a San Francisco Bay Area office, 
leasing consultant describes San Francisco's tech business scene in grim terms following Snap's October 2022 announcement. Mm. Uh, five years ago, if you were a rich tech company and didn't have an office in San Francisco, it meant you were not a big player. Now, with San Francisco having a reputation as an expensive city that is high in crime, no one wants to be there. Snapchat yeah. is right. really telling, though, look at those offices they still have. Their headquarters in Santa Monica outside of L.A., Los Angeles itself, New York, Seattle, London, Dubai, Tokyo. These are not cheap places, yet San Francisco was the one to uh, uh, go out of all of them. Mm -hmm. That's how a lot of tech companies view San Francisco right now. And they're saying it would just be the proposal would result if it became law in massive business and household relocations bankrupting the city. Yeah. Yeah. But look, if you look at it. You know, people talk about Portland. Well, they're destroying the cities anyway. Why not completely destroy them? Why not? If that's the goal, just destroy the, get rid of right. the cities, bankrupt the cities. We've seen what you know a lot of stuff written on Portland the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. saying, "My God, yeah. I mean, well, that's what you wanted. This was your right. Nirvana. Yeah, this is what you said was going to be good. Everybody knew what to fund the police was going to, yeah, what what was going to end up. And there. you kept voting this way right. after it happened, right. and and what did you expect was ultimately going to be the case? So, this is where you are. Is this really the? Is this really the 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 uh, the conclu- the conclusion of liberalism in cities? Let's just completely destroy the whole city. Why not? Let's come up with something that would just bankrupt the entire city right. and destroy the entire city. Yeah, and then we'll move on. Yeah. It is, it really is as if they don't, that they've never played the political game whatsoever. You know, think about this. The city council in San Francisco, they believe they're heroes here. Yeah. Reality doesn't matter. The facts don't matter. Nope. We want to be a hero. 86690 Red Eye. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. So uh, latest uh, latest Pew poll shows only 30% of Americans support the concept of reparations. Now, what would it be, what would the percentage be for reparations if you were told your household would owe if it's only 30% yeah. and you don't view yeah. that there's going to be any cost to you, because that's how people view it. They, they view it in a very, uh, you know, uh, uh, okay, I care. Well, okay. That, that's I, abstract. When you right. tell them what they would be responsible for, you break it into a number of things because it's not like it, this isn't like health care. Right. You're, you're then assigning responsibility for oppression Along with the cost. Exactly. You're responsible. Well, I wasn't responsible for it. I think others were, and there should be reparations. Right. No. You're bearing the cost. Right. What what people believe is it was horrible that it happened. But the question is, well, who would be responsible in today's world 
for paying reparations. Right. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the USA, or excuse me, around the world, <laughs> around the USA too, around the world, everywhere. Uh, we're Red Eye Radio. Download our app today. You can listen when and where you want <laughs> if you can't listen live overnight. All right. I got it on. Sorry, I've been, I was reading three different articles here. <laughs> and, then yeah. the sh- and then the show started. Mm-hmm. The show is getting in my way of my reading. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. No. Uh, but I was uh, reading a, a, a number of different articles here. Uh, two I will focus on. Uh, this is all in relation to uh, the the blow up, which is really inside the Beltway more than anything. And it was where Tucker Carlson asked uh, presidential and prospective presidential candidates questions about Ukraine. And you, I'm sure you saw that yesterday. And then it blew up that uh, that DeSantis. Uh, doesn't stand where the Republican Party stands and doesn't stand, you know, stands with Trump and stands uh, with Putin. You heard things mm-hmm. like that yesterday. Mm-hmm. And uh, I say that as I'm also looking at an article op-ed piece that John Bolton wrote. And it was really interesting. Why won't the rest or why won't the West let Ukraine win against Russia? And he talks about the exact same things that we said. What is our objective in Ukraine? And as Bolton writes, and you may look at Bolton and say, "Well, he is the he is the uh, the uh, the ultimate." I mean, he's he's beyond he's beyond a neocon. People would even say. Uh, but he writes here. He says, uh, "The uh, North Atlantic Treaty Organization goes through the history." has been spooked by Moscow's threat to escalate the conflict if Ukraine isn't kept on a tight leash. Although President Biden failed, indeed barely tried, to deter Russia's war, Vladimir Putin has deterred NATO from responding robustly enough to end the conflict promptly and with victory. Time to solve this problem is growing short. Moscow's successful intimidation highlights Washington's failures to state clear war objectives and forge a strategy to achieve them. Mr. Biden says he wants Russia to lose, but he seems afraid of Ukraine actually winning. Hmm. If he believes America's official position, restoring Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity, he should reaffirm it and craft a plan to do so. If not, he should say so. We can then at least have an intelligible debate. Instead, ambiguous goals and fear of Russian escalation have led to today's military gridlock. Just before the invasion, Mr. Biden ruled out U.S. military force. 
with no reciprocal Kremlin response. Days later, he said, no one expected the sanctions to prevent anything uh, from happening. We remember that. Yeah. Uh, in May of 2022, his defense secretary and national security advisor asked their Russian counterparts to consider a ceasefire signaling weakness and no resolution. Mm. Russia's deterrence and NATO's lack of strategy are further evidenced by internal NATO debates about what weapons to supply Ukraine, whether Polish MiGs, rocket artillery, Abrams tanks, munitions, or F-16s. Such disputes over weaponry when it is when it is needed and where and Ukraine's own capabilities reflect a disjointed strategy, which leads to confusion or worse on the battlefield, pretty much where we are. And to say the quiet part out loud, a prolonged military stalemate can only benefit the much larger aggressor aided by China and others as the West aids Ukraine. And it goes, much of NATO's wrangling over weapons tracks Washington's insistence that Kiev not attack targets inside of Russia or even Crimea, notwithstanding U.S. recognition of Crimea as a sovereign Ukrainian territory. Mm. Under this bizarre reasoning, NATO pressures Ukraine not to strike inside Russia and to spare key assets like Nord Stream, whereas the Kremlin can strike anywhere within Ukraine. Observers recalling America's catastrophic Afghanistan withdrawal could conclude Washington either doesn't know its own mind or is eager to avoid pressing Moscow too hard militarily. Russia's deterrence works. You know, we have said this in the very beginning. Our biggest problem is the Biden administration is running this. The Biden administration that even, as we read earlier, Democrat Julian Epstein pointed out, as we did, lied about uh, you know, w- what uh, the generals told him about Afghanistan to begin with. Yeah. We know there was a succession of lies in Afghanistan from the president to the American people. Those lies uh, resulted in 13 U.S. soldiers being killed in a terrorist attack, yeah. in a suicide bombing. Right. And so we don't trust this administration. And so you look at what's going on here and we we've said, well, what is our goal? America wants a goal. Now, we brought you the polling that showed that America believes we only spent $29 billion in Ukraine. Right. America does not want to spend that amount this year. The polling shows they do not want to spend the same amount this year as they did last year. Mm -hmm. And we've already spent over a hundred billion dollars there, not twenty nine billion. The right. figure was wrong. Right. Yeah, it didn't Let, include yeah, everything. Right. Because and, and I'm and I'm saying that's what we paid because last year we were we were at like seventy almost eighty billion. Right. Last year, and I'm right. assuming since that time, since we're in March, a hundred billion has been spent. Mm-hmm. Americans don't want to spend. That's what the polling shows. And as. Uh, uh, Byron uh, uh, York wrote in the Washington Examiner, DeSantis is is in the mainstream of American thought in Ukraine. Right. And uh, he said eight candidates responded, but the most attention was focused on six paragraphs from DeSantis. Ron DeSantis says protecting Ukraine is not a key U.S. interest. 
reads a New York Times headline reporting DeSantis has sharply broken with Republicans who are determined to defend Ukraine against Russia's invasion and had moved in line with the front runner for the GOP nomination, former President Trump. Said some critics quickly linked DeSantis to not just Trump, but Russian leader Vladimir Putin, the man who attacked Ukraine. Quote, Trump and DeSantis both apparently decided they value Putin's assistance with their election in 2024 more than they value America's national security, international law, our allies, or fundamental human decency, tweeted Daily Beast columnist Michael Rothkoff. On Ukraine, DeSantis sides with Putin over the West, wrote Democratic strategist Simon Rosenberg. Ron DeSantis thrills Tucker Carlson by taking pro-Russian stance said the New York Magazine. There were a lot of tweets echoing those themes. But read actually what DeSantis wrote. Are his positions somehow out of line with national security? Do they conflict with fundamental human decency? Do they side with Putin over the West? The answer to each question is no. Here's what he wrote. A couple of things here. While the U.S. military has many vital national interests, securing our borders, addressing the crisis and readiness within our military, achieving energy security and independence, and checking the economic, cultural, and military power of the Chinese party, becoming further engaged in a territorial dispute between Ukraine and Russia is not one of them. And they said the key is, and you can see when you go through it, he's not saying we shouldn't be helping Ukraine. Hmm. He's saying going further than we should right now, he doesn't believe, is one of the you know the the vital interest as United States. He goes, becoming further entangled in a territorial uh, dispute between Ukraine and Russia is not one of them. The Biden administration's virtual blank check funding of this conflict for as long as it takes without any defined objections or accountability distracts from our country's most pressing challenges. Is that how the American public thinks right now? Yeah. Without question, peace should be the objective. The U.S. should not provide assistance that could require the deployment of American troops or enable Ukraine to engage in offensive operations beyond its borders. F-16s and long-range missiles should therefore be off the table. These moves would risk explicitly drawing the United States into the conflict and drawing us closer to a hot war between the world's two largest nuclear powers. The risk is unacceptable. Well, that's the exact policy of the Biden administration right now that is being questioned as to where we will go. But it's not it's not different. It's not different than probably even Marco Rubio or. I don't know, did. uh, Did Lindsey Graham call for (laughs) F-16s? Did did Lindsey Graham say Ukraine should attack Russia? Yeah, But when you read that, you're like, okay, that's right in, that's where everybody's standing right now. Is it not? On regime change, a policy of regime, regime change in Russia, no doubt popular among the DC foreign policy interventionalists, would greatly increase the stakes of the conflict, making the use of nuclear weapons more likely. Such a policy would neither stop the death or destruction in the war, nor produce a pro American, uh, uh, a Kremlin. Uh, the cost to see such a dubious outcome would become astronomical. I don't know anybody who's talking about regime change on a ser- in, a, in a serious way in the United States of uh, Putin. They may want it, but they're not discussing it every day as something that must well, happen. Yeah, only if you're trying to make the point that 
that it can only come, that kind of regime change can only Mm -hmm. come from internal measures. Uh, And then uh, uh, on transparency, our citizens are entitled to know how the billions of U.S. taxpayer dollars are being utilized in Ukraine. That's a big question. That's why America doesn't want to spend, the polling shows, as much last year, which was, again, underestimated in Mm -hmm. the polling that was done, way underestimated. Mm -hmm. They don't want to spend that same amount this year. No. And, and, and he says, and he goes, finally, on U.S. priorities, we cannot prioritize intervention in an escalating foreign war over the defense of our homeland, especially as tens of thousands mm-hmm. of Americans are dying every year from narcotics smuggled across our open border and weapons arsenals critical for our own security being rapidly depleted. I mean, that is a, well, that is a huge point of discussion I, yeah, about yeah. the weaponry that we have. I would also add that... Uh, you know, it is the mentality of, of the American people quite often that, especially when the economy gets bad, wait a minute, what are you doing for us here at home? Right. You shouldn't be because in the, inevitably it's, okay, stop all the foreign aid because we need to focus. It's it's a lot of populist views that come into the equation, and we can sit and have the debate on all of that, but it is the political reality in that people look at, all right, wait. What are we spending in Ukraine? And what's actually happening? If it were to change things in a measurable way, in a a huge way, maybe we could have that conversation. But the fact of the matter is, we do have a broken border. We're being impacted by fentanyl. And families are suffering inflation and an economic ongoing economic crisis right now while we're spending mm-hmm. billions and billions and billions and billions on Ukraine. It's right, sir. What to make of DeSantis's answers? Has he taken Putin's side against America? Mm-hmm. Has he moved to the extremes, the crazy fringes of the Ukraine debate? No. There's a range of opinion on what the U.S. should do in the Ukraine matter, and DeSantis occupies an entirely legitimate position, no matter what his more excitable critics might say. Because mm. that's a concern. Yeah. Because right. everybody knows right now the concern of Americans, and this poll was, what, a month, two two months ago. Mm. Is is this thing, what's, what's our goal? What are we trying to do? Because we know we already want to limit what we do. Yeah. The goal right, is right. to contain... Is to con- is to contain Russia, not to defeat, not for Ukraine to defeat Russia. Right. Well, you're always you're always in a dangerous territory when you decide to fight a war that way. Yeah, yeah. When that's your goal, what's your goal in the war? Well, just we're, we we want to we want to make it where it goes on so long that uh, Russia finally gives up. Well, that might not happen. Right. And the American public, knowing their limitations, remember, the majority of Americans wanted to pull out of Afghanistan until we did. Remember the poll afterwards? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. now we don't. Yeah. Well, that's it. it. Because I think a lot of people are asking, all right, how long could this go on? You know, it the, the stories that came out of this made it seem like... Uh, at one point, Russia was going to be able to do this very quickly. It was going to be kind of, you know, just a few months, like the annexation of Crimea. 
And then all of a sudden, they're, the, the Russians look defeated. But it's still going on. And then the question is, all right, are we, are we in a decades-long situation here where we're going to put more and more resources into this as a nation and we're not going to put any boots on the ground? We don't really have a goal. There's not a clear goal. But on top of everything else, you can't trust this administration. After Afghanistan and the botched exit there, there's no way to trust the current commander-in-chief or anything coming from his White House. 86690-RED-EYE. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at J.J. Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on compliance, safety, accountability. Drivers should be familiar with how their actions affect their motor carrier's Compliance Safety Accountability, or CSA, score in the seven basic categories. The driver fitness score is based on the physical and medical qualifications of drivers. The vehicle maintenance category requires drivers to know how to inspect CMVs and secure cargo. Hours of service compliance relies on drivers keeping accurate records of duty and abiding by hours of service limits. The unsafe driving category is affected by unsafe driving behaviors such as failing to wear a seatbelt or obey traffic laws. Drivers should understand the drug and alcohol prohibitions to prevent hurting their carrier's controlled substances and alcohol basic score. And drivers who transport hazmat must know how to safely transport hazardous materials according to the regulations. The final basic category, crash prevention, is based on how many crashes a motor carrier has been involved in, so drivers must know how to drive safely to avoid crashes. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller & Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric, I think uh, that uh, Bolton here, I think he's as on it as you could possibly be. John Bolton is op-ed piece. Today, White House policy is essentially we support Ukraine defending itself, but not enough to be too effective. This formula for mm. protracted, inconclusive war ignores risks to America as well as Ukraine. Critical U.S. munition supplies are being depleted and our current capacity to restock is insufficient, mirroring concerns about replacing our aging nuclear power submarine fleet while also attempting to supply Australia under the deal there. Although it is better uh, that we experience these problems now before America itself comes under fire, shortfalls in U.S. stockpiles buttress isolationists who don't want to assist Ukraine in the first place. One thing is plain. Fears of Russian escalation are unwarranted. Our pre-war intelligence vastly overestimated Russia combat arms capabilities, and the passing months show that these capabilities are diminishing. Where is the hidden Russian army that threatens NATO? If it exists, why isn't it already deployed? Mr. Putin's nuclear saber-rattling also has deterred NATO, but for no good reasons. He's saying it was a bluff. And you look back at it, it was a bluff. He said, unless you are seriously 
he's convinced you want regime change in Russia, said not going to use it. Yeah. Says the Biden administration may not intend it, but its doubt and hesitation both impede the war effort and open the door politically to those who oppose USAID entirely. Giving you 70% each night. Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Uh, like this, uh, I found this in realclearpolitics.com from uh, Ricochet. Uh, D.C. freaks out over DeSantis' Ukraine comments. Voters shrug. <laughs> it's like several right-of-center politicians and commentators are outraged over Governor Ron DeSantis' latest statement on the war in Ukraine. The Hawks accuse the Florida governor of showing American weakness. Trump accuses him of being too vague. Both claim his short statement threatens his electoral chances, a prediction which reveals a severe case of Beltway brain. (laughs) He said previously the governor stuck to the uh, vague assertion that we shouldn't send Ukraine a blank check. His latest statement adds slightly more detail with a strong emphasis on slightly Neither locks him into a firm position, which is an asset since no one knows the outcome of the expected spring offenses or uh, offenses, excuse me, or what America voters will think of the issue in November of 2024. (laughs) Yeah, it's vague as it well. It should be. Our leaders should constantly follow the facts on the ground and shift accordingly. The right strategy today probably won't be the right strategy two years from now. DeSantis was wrong to dismiss the full blown invasion as a mere territorial dispute outside of that there's little to criticize let alone be outraged by either way uh, his foreign policy statement made 19 months before election day will have zero effect on said election (laughs) campaigns almost never win or lose on foreign policy post cold war with a slight advantage uh, uh accrues to the dovish the rest of the country is not nearly as invested in Ukraine as D.C. tastemakers insist they be. In general, Americans sympathize with Ukrainians, but they're more likely to rant about the price of eggs than the development uh, across the ocean. So there you yeah. go. Mm. Uh, now, again, I mean, I, you and I have st- stated this as a, you know, you should always. And, and we said this earlier, you know, when it comes to uh, the the attempt, you know, this whole thing of regime change. Should we be promoting regime change? No. Should the United States be looking for some type of regime change? Well, it all depends on what the CIA knows about what's going on and who would replace uh, who would replace Vladimir Putin and what they believe, which is why we need a non-political CIA. And, yeah. and, and what you believe is the actual situation going on in the Kremlin. So many of these questions. That's why we said the absolutes on Ukraine, they're guesses. Well, anybody who has an absolute on Ukraine is just guessing for a political narrative. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a, a, even if you could be right in the moment, things are so fluid. And tomorrow you could be wrong. Right. But, I mean, because it's 
that's the problem with this whole situation. Mm-hmm. I think that most people have. This is way too unpredictable. It's what are we? What is the goal? What are we doing there that you can measure? And how do you convince me that if we're going to commit at this level, we're not going to increase, ever put boots on the ground. We're just going to commit at this level for how long? Well, and the American people don't want to. In fact, they mirror exactly what DeSantis said. Exactly. And again, I think DeSantis said, look, i got to put out a generalized comment on this mm-hmm. because – when I'm president, it'd be 2024. And as I said, you know, you and I've talked about this. The problem with this, Bolton pointed out part of it, how NATO and the United States are all over the place Yeah, uh, on right. this. And they're making it clear, well, we really don't want to do much. Mm-hmm. We just want to make it so you don't, Russia doesn't win the actual war. Right. Well, that's not really, I mean, that that is a goal that's pretty mushy to the American public when they see tens of billions and eventually hundreds of billions of dollars going to Ukraine will tell us why it's a part of our national security. You know, explain to me and remember all the bluffs from Putin. Yeah. You know, nuclear this, well, that didn't happen. Right. And a lot of people sat there and called and said, that's a bluff. He doesn't want to die and the people around him don't want to die. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when they say they're threatened nuclear war, you've got to figure out, do they really want to do it or do they not like we did we had to with the old Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. You had to figure out, would they really go to nuclear war? We found out really in the end they didn't want to go to nuclear war. They wanted to uh, control as much as the world as they could do, and they wanted a hard communist regime you know, in the old Soviet Union, but they didn't all want to die in order right. to get there. Right. And that's what we find out with most totalitarian leaders, even when you get to the point of terrorist groups, uh, you know, ideological uh, uh, you know, uh, rel- religious terrorism that you would think that, okay, everybody wishes to commit suicide because they have suicide bombers. And then you find out the Islamic radical leaders, they don't want to die. And you know something? <laughs> They're not really as much into their cause as the young people they get to blow themselves up. Right. As we find out, oh, you're pretty westernized. Oh, you like our porn, huh? Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Seems to be against everything that you want. So power and control is no longer there if you're dead. And most leaders, even of the most radical uh, totalitarian governments, know that. Right. And and so or, and they don't want to die. No, the recruiting and, tactics had to be much different than how they were actually going to behave themselves. Right. So when you look at this situation here and Bolton lays it out, you know, we're we're showing complete confusion here. Yeah, you know, and sure. yeah, the power that they thought, and if Bolton is saying, because I, that pretty amazing to see Bolton say John Bolton, knowing where he comes from, mm. saying, "Look, their their military is not as strong as we thought." Bolton would be always to me if he didn't really believe that he'd be stating, "We don't know what their power is, so we need to make sure we've got, you know, spend more on defense and spend more on defense because I don't believe it. I believe they're stronger." than they're projecting in this Ukraine war. And he's not. He's saying the opposite, mm-hmm. which means, whoa, okay, so, you know, he's privy to a lot of stuff we've never been. And that's the other thing. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what Biden knows. We don't know what the CIA knows. And so it's very tough if you're a presidential candidate who doesn't deal in any of this at all 
to get too specific on anything. Uh, I just think that, you know, you get to the point, I was thinking this, there's two things. First, the blame Trump, the blame Trump, the blame Trump that we hear all the time that they're doing on a consistent basis. We know that the blame Trump on immigration didn't work very well for the Biden administration early on. Mm -hmm. And then when they tried to blame him for, you know, everything else and inflation. And still today they're out there saying the last administration, the Biden administration. Eventually people say, look, you've got to take ownership of what's going on in this country. Stop doing it. People view it and say it's an excuse. Well, it's starting easy. Anything that comes out on DeSantis, they're pounding on him as if, ah, this is just the most outrageous. It's like, you know, whether it's Biden saying it's sinful uh, because mm, the governor of Florida doesn't believe that children should make the choice for mutilating their bodies without uh, the parents somehow being involved. Or this thing here with Ukraine, which is, this is unacceptable. He's in the pro-Putin camp. And it's coming from some Republicans. It's coming from some Democrats. And and so it's coming from The View. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's coming from The View. And it's like every single thing that he does is the most outrageous thing. And I think people are going, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Well, and that's honestly what the the left, you, this is another indication that they fear him. They fear yeah. DeSantis. Yeah. And that's been going on for a while because when there was even the first thought of him ever running for president, then you could see it in the media. Bill Maher comes out and says, you know, the problem is this guy reads. And you've seen him then since then as governor all the way through this last election where he brought his entire state to a consensus. And that makes the left tremble. That is what scares them the most is the fact that here's a guy who can look at the truth, look at the issues, put it out there bluntly, completely, without apologies, without walking on any eggshells. So when you see them go after him on something, you have to take a a little bit of a deeper look. And you really usually don't have to go very far to find the truth. Don't say gay, Bill. It's not what it was. And the people of the state of Florida that were in that state where that was all going on yep. back DeSantis Absolutely. because he, he explained it correctly. Yep. He never engaged and he didn't let the media get away with it. And that's what they fear, too. I would say in the age of the Twitter files. That has a greater effect. Someone like a DeSantis has a greater effect because he's not going to back down. And now more and more people are looking at it going, oh, my gosh. And and Mr. Gabriel in his column here writes exactly what we have said about the situation in, in mm. Ukraine where the public is going. Mm. According to the Associated Press in May of 2022, 60% of Americans supported arming Ukraine. January, 48%. Mm. Still makes up a plurality, but the trending the uh it's trending the wrong way for the forever being in ukraine caucus right right who knows what it'll be in a year and a half the u.s has already sent 112 billion dollars to ukraine with little debate and less oversight for comparison ukraine's entire gdp in 2020 was 
200 billion. Yeah. We sent 120 billion uh, so far on a recent visit. Biden casually announced a half a billion more along with our, uh, you know, uh, more munitions. Uh, and, you know, and so you look at it and the question asked the American public in the actual numbers was we sent 29 billion to Ukraine last year. Should we send the same amount this year? And you and I said it was way over 29 billion. Now we see it's it's been we've already sent. I said 100 billion. According to him, it's 112 billion so far. Yeah. Americans didn't want to spend 29 billion. So when you bring the numbers to the American public. Right. You know, and the problem is, number one, they don't trust Biden because of Afghanistan. And number two, there is no, you know, defined objective. Right. Going, you know, going on. And it's right. like, OK, what why are we doing this? What is the point? Biden can't communicate the point. <laughs> no. It's just, I, it, it, it just seemingly it, he doesn't even right. know what's going on. Yeah. So and either you stand with me or you're Putin. Yeah. Doesn't cut it with that the American fly. public. That doesn't fly. Eight six six ninety red eye. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio toll free at eight six six ninety red eye. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Cronin. I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 Red Eye. Coming up following the top of the hour, the mystery Biden when it comes to what the Republicans are looking. Money going now to an unidentified Biden. Yeah. Now known as the mystery Biden. (laughs) Okay. And uh, also, uh, just an article I was reading yesterday that was pretty interesting that that, uh, here, people arguing that the origin of COVID doesn't matter are fools. Wow. And it's uh, Jim Garrity in National Review saying that a recent headline at 538 (laughs) said, Mm. does it matter where COVID-19 comes from? (laughs) He said it. It doesn't matter. It's weird. No, 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 don't. Of course it matters. The airplane has crashed. The people and pilots are dead. It doesn't do any good to find out why the plane has crashed. It's over with. Gary, is finding the murderer really important? The murder has happened. OJ would tell you yes, but is <laughs> it of really? <laughs> is it really important? I mean, the victim is already gone. Let's not draw this out any further. Right. The family is suffering. Let's not draw it out and focus on the police investigation because every time that makes the news, the family of the victim is yeah we don't yeah in grief again yeah there's been enough suffering do we really need to investigate crimes at all by the way is is that is that the democrats position for not wanting to be tough on crime i started thinking about it i'm starting to sound like prosecutor bragg in new york i'm like whoa wait a minute hold on a second I'm pretty sure that was his entire platform when he ran, I think, right? Uh, no, I, it's uh, 
you know, it's insane. Of course, we need to know. Here's my question. Um, are, are you convinced that there won't be another outbreak? Can you, well, no, no, no. can you say for sure there won't be? Of course, there will be. The question is, how dangerous will it be? Will it be a pandemic? Don't know. Yeah. Now, are you willing to take that chance? Are you not curious about how it went down? But more importantly, don't you want to find out if it's still going on? If something may cause something more dangerous even? This is Red Eye Radio. On Westwood One. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.